Roy, good morning to you. Welcome into today's programme. We're looking at an arson attack that took place in Loch Ray over the weekend. A senator is going to the High Court today to take on the government. Throker is 50 years old. We're looking at drugs legislation on today's programme as well. And we're also looking back on Friday's programme. Uh, from Bohemore. We got a massive reaction to it. We'll be looking at that and much more plus some of the comments left over from Friday's programme. You can text us this morning with thanks to Rationale Windows to 086 353 That's 086 353 You can also call us on 091-77-0077 It's Monday. We're open for business and you can call us right now. Good morning to you. There was an arson attack indeed on a home uh, which we've come from with um, the press office uh, this morning over the weekend. Uh, it took place in Loch Ray and uh, I want to go to Councillor Mogi Maher who joins me on the line because the Gardaí are investigating an incident of criminal damage that occurred at our property in Loch Ray. It happened at approximately 10.50pm on Saturday last, the 25th of February 2023. And the Gardaí have confirmed this morning no arrests have been made and investigations are ongoing. But I believe uh, quite significant damage has been done uh, to the property. And uh, Councillor Mogi Maher, good morning to you. Good morning, Keith. Thanks for joining us uh, today. Again, this is an isolated case, hopefully, uh, but not something that happens regularly in uh, Loch Grey. Absolutely, Keith. And I suppose there's a lot of families um, panicking now to say that they could be leave, leaving beside and some other family when this will happen again. It's not nice to see somebody throw a petrol bomb through a window to set a house deliberately on fire and um, cause huge destruction inside in the house and I, I believe this was attempted on Monday night Keith and they only happened to break the first pane of glass it didn't happen to get into the house but they were successful on Saturday night so they meant to do damage uh, whoever the perpetrator is in this case and I hope the guards find them fairly soon because as I said other families are living in that estate nobody wants to see any, that kind of tuggery going on in a town Absolutely not but I mean the situation is did you say there was an attempt at no. this on Tuesday night? I attempt on Monday night I was told I can't confirm for sure yeah. uh, but I do hope the guards uh, follow up this fairly fast and, and, and catch this perpetrator um, and again was there a car damaged as well during this there was the car and the driver was damaged as well Keith because I suppose when I, I don't know I, I wasn't at the scene on Saturday night I, I was just uh, on Sunday I drove by it um, but uh, yes there was a lot of damage done in the house the car was also damaged um, and I'm not sure whether it is drugs related or what's causing the trouble, but something is causing it. Because if they tried to do it on Monday night and succeeded to do it on Saturday night, there's something seriously wrong um, or happening. And I pity anybody living down there. Well, obviously they had a, they, they 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 meant business when they came back a second time. And uh, I, I did see circulating on uh, social media over the weekend uh, a video of the fire, and this is only the start of it. And there's four flames there as well. Now, it's on social media. You can see the, there's a trailer there, there's a car there, and you can see the fire kicking off so you can. Uh, but if somebody says on that video, this is only the start of it, uh, there's yes. some, there is something wrong somewhere uh, that the guard you need to get on top of fairly quickly. Certainly, Keith. And it's, it's, it's probably a year ago, we had something similar in another estate further down. 
Um, so you would not like to see this becoming a common practice. I hope the guards find this perpetrator fairly soon um, and, and put this to bed once and for all and stop any of this antisocial behaviour. Nobody wants it in any of their towns or, or the counties, as I said. Um, and please God, the guards will act fairly fast and, and stop this happening again. As I said, there are other people living in that estate and, and they're fearful now that this could be happening to them when they're asleep in their bed some other night. They're not sure maybe if... Who lives? Who's living beside me? Who's in the house? Is there people coming in renting? Um, so it's just we need to we need to stamp it out, Keith. All right, let's stamp it out, uh, Councillor Mugimar. Thank you for joining us uh, today on the uh, program, Councillor Mar. There, joining us on the line. Speaking of Gardaí, by the way, uh, I wasn't at the game yesterday, uh, but I did go to the movies yesterday. I'm kind of lost at the weekend. I'll tell you more about that later on. Uh, but we decided we'd go because we got this present for Christmas of an Amriplex pass uh, for three months so you can go to as many films as you want. We went to a film called Cocaine Bear yesterday. Uh, but in the midst of it, when we came out of Cocaine Bear, I'll tell you about that later on, by the way, the film itself, um, the Gardaí um, were there. Now, when we parked up earlier on in the day, the Gardaí were getting ready for the game. Uh, there was 12,000 people apparently at the game yesterday. But when we came out of the Omniplex, I think it was about half past four. Uh, we went straight to the car and went home. But the guy, they did a wonderful job in Salt Hill, I have to say, uh, controlling traffic. Now, we, I came out through the Barna area and I was at home in 11 minutes uh, from Leisureland. It was parked right outside Leisureland. And uh, just did a U-turn on the road there. Gardaí came up to the promenade. I was indicating right. There was a guard there, held the traffic, bang, gone out. Uh, in the midst of it all, the fire brigade went out as well and they cleared the road for them. So well done. It proves when the Gardaí are on duty that traffic will move an awful lot quicker like it does for the races and otherwise. Uh, but there you go. Uh, well done to all involved in traffic control yesterday. And I hope everybody else got home as quickly as uh, we did yesterday evening. Now, Galway Centre, uh, George Crockwell, wants an early hearing for a challenge to airspace arrangements with the British military. Uh, but lawyers acting for Senator George Crockwell uh, want that uh, hearing as soon as possible. There's a secret arrangement that allows the Royal Air Force uh, to intercept any aircraft in Irish airspace that poses a threat to either country. I thought we were an independent uh, sovereign country, but he joins you on the line at this stage. Uh, Senator Crockwell, good morning to you. Good morning, Keith. Uh, good morning to your listeners. Take me through this, because is this a, a secret arrangement allowing the RAF to intercept any aircraft in Irish airspace that poses a threat to either country? So are the RAF minding us here? Not quite. Um, let me explain. Um, after 9-11, it became apparent that aircraft could be used in terrorist attacks. Yeah. Um, Britain were naturally uh, concerned that there would be an attack on the House of Commons or on Buckingham Palace or some other notable building. And the pathway to Britain from the West is over Ireland. Uh, Ireland have not got the capacity to see what's in our sky and we don't have the capacity to intercept what's in our sky. And of course, once an aircraft hits the west coast of Ireland, it's about 20 minutes before it's over the UK. Um, so somebody somewhere um, entered into an agreement uh, that the RAF could overfly Irish airspace 
Um, now, whether that is they do it on a daily basis or whether they do it only when required, uh, we're uncertain about that. The secret deal that you refer to appears to be a secret to everybody, but uh, sorry, to everybody in Ireland, but to nobody elsewhere. A recent uh, question in the House of Commons uh, by Ian Paisley Jr. resulted in the British Minister for Defence saying um, that he couldn't comment on what a foreign government does um, with respect to uh, foreign affairs, but it was in fact that the RAF overfly Ireland. So, and what is your concern over that? I mean, we are supposed to be a neutral country. England is no longer uh, a part of the European Union. Um, so what's your concern on this? My concern, Keith, is very simple. We have a constitution, and the constitution is very clear on what a government can do. And if we set aside any part of the constitution in order to facilitate any any decision by government, then that's fundamentally wrong. I don't have any difficulty with us turning to our near neighbour in in the case where we're unable to take care uh, of the security of our skies ourselves. Um, But I do have a difficulty in that happening without it being brought before the houses of the Oireachtas and debated in public. Um, And I can understand that there would be a difficulty for any Irish government in having to admit to the citizens of the country that we have ceded away our sovereignty to a third uh, uh, nation to look after us, uh, particularly given 800 years of of, um, experience. So what is the case then that you're taking on the grounds of what... Um, the case really I'm taking is that uh, somebody has acted outside the Constitution in order to enter into an agreement that was not brought, brought before the houses of the Oireachtas to be uh, sanctioned. And that, that's really it. Um, it's quite a serious constitutional uh, matter. Uh, uh, the Constitution, Keith, is, is the guiding rule book, if you want, for the way this nation is run. And um, it, it would be extremely disturbing if if anybody, uh, government minister or official acting on behalf of the government, could sign a deal that would, um, in all for all intents and purposes, set up a defence force in our sky without the knowledge of the Oireachtas and as such without the knowledge of the people. Well, we were having a hissy fit before the war about um, Russia bringing some... Uh, ships and and uh, other machinery uh, into our waters. So we had that hissy fit about that. So why can't we have the same hissy fit about what's happening in the air? Yeah, well, we've had the hissy fit about what's happening in the air on a number of occasions. The um, uh, uh, Russians in particular have flown down our west coast with bombers. Um, We believe that the, or I believe that the flight down the west coast is a probing exercise to see how long it would take to get a response. And um, the response usually comes from the UK. Uh, So it's these silly games these people play. that that would be of concern to me. And what do you you see, when the Russian aircraft comes down, they switch off their transponder. The transponder is what helps them to be seen by uh, radar. So yeah. if you don't have primary radar, you can't see them. And as such, the people who see them are the UK, not the Irish. But then what do you say then about uh, American Air Force planes coming in and using Shannon as a, as a pit stop and taking off then again? The same argument could be made there. No, um, actually, the the Shannon Airport thing is brought up 
frequently by people as some sort of an infringement of Irish um, uh, sovereignty. Ireland is a member of the United Nations and as a member of the United Nations we are obliged to provide um, uh, such things as landing for aircraft that are on United Nations missions. It is arguable that during the first Gulf War which was not sanctioned uh, that uh, we acted outside our area of responsibility but since then the second Gulf War and everything since then has been under the uh, chapter 8 of the United Nations so that is perfectly acceptable Okay, so that argument then is taken away from there. So when do you think you're going to get a resolution or a decision on this um, case? Well, my my legal team are, are in uh, court this morning. Um, it, basically what has happened, I put down, uh, we wrote to the state and asked the state to uh, give us an answer. They didn't, so we set up proceedings. Uh, we then lodged our case and it left, it fell to the state to provide a defence. The state didn't provide a defence until the first hearing and when at the first hearing the judge gave them 14 days to provide a defence, so they They've provided their defence, and we are now providing our rebuttal to that defence. Um, so I assume uh, after today, uh, a, a hearing date will be granted, and we'll go forward for a formal hearing at that stage. All right, Senator Gerard Crockwell, thank you so much for joining us. We'll touch base with you again later in the month on that to see how that is going. But thank you for taking our call today. 24 minutes past nine. It's an absolutely beautiful morning out there. I hope that wherever you are listening to us in the world, uh, be it online or on FM, uh, that you're just embracing the weather that we have out there. Let's make the most of it for today. We're back just after these. Galway Talks, in association with Tesco. Click and Collect allows you to collect your order whenever suits you. Now, last Friday we had a wonderful morning, I have to say, in Tone Reasons. Thank you to Heather and the crew down there. Uh, it just was lovely and we stayed there drinking tea until about half past twelve. Uh, but some of the comments left over from there that we didn't get to on Friday. Morning, Keith, that lady is hilarious. Uh, great storytelling. And if you want to listen back to any part of Friday's programme, you can go to galwaybfm.ie, go to podcasts and go to the photograph of Galway Talks with me on it uh, for last Friday. And the three sections are there. Uh, Keith, I'm thoroughly, uh, I thoroughly enjoyed Phil and Galway Talks show. Uh, Keith, you need to bring yourself and Jerry back in for another hour at some someday. She's a tonic, uh, Phil Kennedy. Reminds me of my growing up years as well. Morning, Keith. I hope all is well with you. Lovely listening to your guests on Friday last about their history and their stories. It brings me back memories to my 82-year-old young mother. Uh, my being from the UK, she still finds it funny when I hear a mature person say feck. Uh, Mum reassured me that it's similar to the other F word in Ireland. It's a nicer way to express yourself. So I'll go off now. I'll take off now, he says, and have a good day. Keith, say a big hello to uh, Breda Murphy Neetonry, uh, a great lady, worked with her for years, and really a good Bohemore lady. Uh, Keith, I stayed with Mrs. Crow at number 34 Lean Mellows Terrace uh, many years ago. It was so enjoyable. The people living in that terrace were lovely people too. The likes of Mr. and Mrs. Kelly, the Beltons, the Costellos, the Tierneys, the Scullies. They were great neighbours, a lot of them gone to their eternal rest. And may they rest in peace. Hi Keith, one of the uh, guests in your programme last Friday uh, on the show mentioned the first person to be buried in Rahan Cemetery in 1880 was a seven-year-old boy. Who was that young boy's name? was the first person buried in the new cemetery 
1880 when it was opened. Uh, Keith, am I right remembering that there were Heffernans too from Bohemore who boxed for Ireland? I do believe you are. And uh, Keith has called and said, I'm listening to your lovely stories from Tonerys. 1969 to 1971, I worked in the Galway Foundry and Engineering in Mill Street, uh, where the guard station is now. I was from the the, uh, county and a few lads from Bohemore worked there as well. As I was only 16 when I started, them lads always looked after me and never put me wrong. When I was 17 years, we did um, a job in Tonery's safety railing on the flat roof. I had to go up uh, to paint it. I walked up from Mill Street to Tonery's with a gallon of red oxide paint and a paintbrush. The boss in Tonery's was a hard-working man. He offered me tea or a drink and I wasn't really drinking at the time. I said I would love to have a glass of Guinness. He gave me a pint and lots of Kimberley biscuits. It took me um, about an hour and a half uh, drinking it, longer than painting the railing. Then I walked back to the mill uh, with the paint and the brush. And there was very little paint in the can uh, when I got back. Your guest might remember uh, there was a man called PJ that had a horse. That was PJ, uh, Ruan indeed, and a four-wheel flat cart. He used to do deliveries around the city for any businesses uh, that wanted him. I think Tonerys had a horse and cart at the time too. And many other show, um any other um, calls coming in in relation to the Tonerys show? Uh, fantastic show, Keith. You'll have a Merview one and all the areas on to you now as well. That's in the offering, but I do believe, no, I do know on the Friday the 10th of March, which is Friday week, we're going to be in my colour. So we do city, county, city, county, city, county. So if you want us to go to your area, as we did in Bohemore, uh, quite simply all you have to do is email comments at Bfm. .ie. That's comments at galwaybfm.ie. Orla O'Malley joins me on the line today because um, the clock is ticking on the Rise Community Fund, which is supported by the National Broadband Ireland NBI and the company delivering the National Broadband Plan has issued its last call for entries in its programme to deliver grants to small businesses, farms, community groups and social enterprises in Galway. Orla, good morning to you. Good morning, Keith. Good to talk to you again. Thanks for joining us uh, today. You're looking at grants of up to a thousand euro here, so you are. We are indeed, Keith. Um, as you kindly mentioned, Rise was founded by David McCourt, who's also the chairman for National Broadband Ireland. And what we recognise is that whilst bringing high-speed connectivity to people's doors, it's a great foundation, but we need to need to do more to bridge the divides that have opened up between rural and urban areas. So Keith, through RISE, we're working closely with the community groups you mentioned, social enterprises, charities, small businesses, farms across the country to bring out initiatives that we think will help give rural communities better opportunities. So as you said, we've one day left to the RISE Community Fund closing in County Galway. So just to emphasize Keith, this application takes only about 15 minutes. We have focused on the fact that it's intuitive, it's easy to apply for. Um, the judges evaluate all the applications at the end of the month. After a period of about a week, we notify the successful applicants who receive the €1,000 grant within five business days. So it's easy to apply for, it's intuitive, it's not complicated, and we really use it as a tool to support all these cohorts in rural communities. So Organisations, sorry Keith. Give me an idea. Yeah, so if we park Galway because it's closing uh, tomorrow, close of business tomorrow. Give me an idea from other parts of the country, what type of people applied for such grants? 
we have a lot of community organisations, key community centres, which we know growing up in rural Ireland are the epicentre of everything that happens in the community. From initiatives around hardware, software, uh, digital upskilling amongst the elderly, amongst young adults, amongst uh, children. Um, we're involved in so many technology-oriented grants. We also work with farmers, Keith. So, for example, we've worked with farmers who are building um, infrastructure through technology to evaluate the mapping of their farms to maximize, maximize their productivity, their output. We've worked with um, food markets who support local food producers in small communities and allow them to bring their product to market. We've worked with startups, small businesses who are using technology to improve their business techniques. It's a great spectrum across the divide, Keith, supporting technology in rural communities that can show that they can increase their productivity or support and activate their communities. And you said the application process for RISE then is fairly easy enough. It is, Keith. We did our research and we talked to a lot of people in rural communities. And sometimes people look on applications as a barrier to actually completing them, which I completely understand. We all hate paperwork. But we've deliberately made this process seamless. So if you go to our website, riseglobalfoundation.com, the application, access to the application is on the home page. A few terms and conditions, but we are very, in general, open to all these cohorts. As long as you can reflect that technology or the future use of technology will support your business, your social enterprise, your community fund or your farm. Um, the application, as I said, takes 10, 15 minutes, the time to sit down and have a, long, a good cup of tea, Keith. It's, and, and again, the funds are released quickly. We did find that a lot of organisations were reluctant because they usually have to pr have a bridging fund before, and, and pardon me, show proof of purchase. Mm -hmm. In our case, you just have to supply the invoice. Now, we do our due diligence but you supply your invoice and we release payment once your application is successful. So it's short, it's intuitive, and the funds are released within a very reasonable time frame. Good. Um, that's amazing. Yeah. And how many of such grants are you going to be giving in Galway then? Or is it is it the same across the country? Is it per county it's, that you do this? It is, Keith. It's five 1,000 euro grants per month. Right. And, and we do have a vision to increase the amounts and the number of grants we can release monthly. To date, we've released 65 grants in over 19 counties across Ireland, and we're growing and expanding every month. All right, so give me the website then, um, Orla, that you want them to go to. Thank you. It's www.riseglobalfoundation.com. Applications on the home page and a profile of testimonials of some of our recipients to date, which stretch the length and breadth of Ireland. They really keep give you an example of what the fund is all about, the practicalities about applying and the impact on their organisation. I mean, what we'd love to do, Keith, is showcase some of the wonderful recipients we expect to get out of Galway in the next couple of weeks um, and showcase what they've done with the funding and how they're using technology in their community. All right, all right. So well done to you. Thanks, Annie, for joining us uh, today. So if, if you want to go to www.rise global foundation, you can get all the full details uh, from there. Orla Manley, uh, who is the uh, program director at Rise, uh, thank you for joining us today on the program. Nine thirty-seven. Comment lines are quite busy today. Keep them coming into us, uh, please.
Uh, Keith, I feel so much better knowing that the RAF are monitoring what is going on. Uh, Keith, can I give you, uh, can I give a big thank you to the guards who phoned my mother last Friday after she went missing? I really appreciate it. And uh, other calls coming in too to us today. Quick commercial break, back just after these. Morning to you. Galway Tolls, in association with Tesco. Find our award-winning Irish ranges in store and online at tesco.ie. A very good morning to you. Welcome into today's program. Now, last week, uh, when John was covering from for me, um, they had a lovely story about a lady whose car broke down, and David Greeley, he owns um, Tempo Antiques, it is in Cross Street there, uh, was good enough to give her a battery, and uh, John spoke on the program uh, to the lady in question. Uh, but I heard that lady on the radio uh, last week telling the story about the man who helped uh, where her car wouldn't start, and it dawned on me that I should have told my story. Uh, last week, Keith, I was minding my daughter's little fluffy white puppy. He managed to escape and run out onto the main road. Oh my God, that's a nightmare. He was hit by a car and um, a car that was passing by stopped, brought us to the vet, stayed with me and brought me home and got me coffee. The little dog had to uh, stay with the vet and never experienced such kindness before he realised uh, the terrible state that I was in. I didn't know the man but found out later that he was Jerry McMahon, the owner of uh, Il Vicolo restaurant in Bridge Mills there and a brother of J.P. McMahon as well. His kindness and was given so generously whilst the man or woman who hit the dog just drove on. Regards, and that comes from Helen today. It's a terrible position to find yourself in, Helen, unfortunately, but uh, well done to uh, Jerry and... Uh, well done for doing what he did there. Now, Throker is marking their 50th anniversary with an appeal to uh, the people of Galway to support their Lenten campaign. I'm going to go to Sarah Fennell, who's the Director of International uh, with Throker and a native of Salt Hill here in Galway. And uh, 50 years on, we're still talking about the issues in Somalia and other parts of the world as well. Sarah, good morning to you. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? It doesn't get any easier, does it, out there for unfortunate people? And I was reading over the weekend the woeful conditions in Somalia, in Africa and elsewhere with drought and otherwise and what the Russian war has done to food supplies coming into people as well. It's not easy out there. No, it's not. Um, it's increasingly complex is is what we're experiencing. And, you know, the, the nature, the duration um, and the intensity of kind of, of 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 crisis is just accelerating. So you mentioned Ukraine there. Um, we saw the earthquakes recently in Syria and um, Turkey. And then across the Horn of Africa, where we're focusing our Lent on uh, this year, there's 37 million people across the region facing really acute hunger. And I was in Somalia a few months ago myself and met with the Mahat family, who we have featured on our campaign this year. Um, and they live in the ghetto region of Somalia. We were standing in heat. Like, I can't describe the kind of heat. You know, it's 38 degrees, nearly 40. There is no shade. You are in a completely open, open, dry, um, just, yeah, very, very hard environment. No water um, and la- dead livestock. I mean, it's, it's, it's really something of the 80s. I've been, I've been doing this kind of work for many years. And this is not something that you associate with 
2023. Oh. Um, people who have five consecutive failed rainy seasons have had to leave their homes, watch their livestock die, and they come to these small centres in ghetto in Somalia looking for some kind of hope and some kind of um, relief. Um, but all they find is heat, um, you know, very, very limited services, um, and you know, they've lost all of their assets. You know, three million, three million livestock have died in Somalia alone. And that's like the collapse of an economy when all of your population are largely herders. So really, really difficult uh, situations. Yeah. And how then, or is it something that Throkra do, does? I mean, do you try to restock them? Um, and if so, how do you make sure that those animals don't die? And they, they died of hunger and lack of water. That's what the animals died of. Yeah, I mean, there's simply been five seri- five seasons of, of lack of rain. I mean, I think at the moment, what we, I mean, what we're doing in Somalia is we have a, a very significant health program. So we have, you know, what we're seeing are children who are literally facing into, you know, the, the famine word is being used in some contexts in, in parts of Somalia. And I was there and I saw children who have had no food, who are in our stabilization units, uh, where basically children are brought when they're, you know, really on the brink of death. And I, our, our services there are supporting children, like our, our, the numbers have quadrupled in the last few months due to this drought, which is just completely decimated animals and decimated agriculture. So there's no production. So we are providing food relief, we're providing shelter, we're providing access to water um, across that whole region of Ghetto. And we have 50 health centres there and three hospitals. Vital, vital support. But in terms of longer term um, livelihoods. I mean, I think we hear the UN talk about climate refugees into the future. I mean, what do people do when they don't have access to livestock or they don't have livelihoods which are agricultural based and the rains don't come? I think Pakistan was one of the biggest kind of the biggest images of that this year when we mm. saw the floods and the numbers were biblical. Yeah. You know, there was 33 million people displaced. So I think this is a global problem. I think we've seen it in Ireland. We're increasingly seeing impacts of flooding here, of drought here, of kind of freak weather events. So, you know, Somalia and other parts of the world don't have the infrastructure and the resilience to respond to these issues, but they're not alone in feeling the impacts of climate. And in fact, you know, as, as the saying goes, you know, those who contributed least really to climate change are feeling the real brunt of it and that's what we're seeing. Could I, can I ask you on this one, Zorka Fennel, um, has Somalia ever got a break? I mean, I, I do, I'm going back maybe 20, 30 years and Somalia was in the was in the news then. Has it ever got a break? Have the, have the people, the residents ever had a, a break in, in what we're talking about? Well, actually at the moment there is a, there is a kind of, a, there is a, good government in Mogadishu. They are dealing with Al-Shabaab, which is, you know, another compounding factor. But there is a government, there is more stability than there has been in many years. Um, But yeah, climate comes and it just, um, you know, they can't control the climate and whether it's climate or whether it's conflict. And they are the two key drivers we're seeing in lots of places. I mean, if you look at Syria and you look at the earthquake that um, that was they experienced a few weeks ago, I mean, people in, in, in northwest Syria have had nearly 12 years of war and then many of them displaced into Turkey. And so when they were refugees in Turkey, they were hit again by an earthquake. So there's this kind of compounding of factors that I think 
continues to create the need. We've seen massive successes. I mean, I've worked in Honduras, Uganda, South Sudan, Mozambique. I've lived in all of those places and I have seen massive transformation. And I've seen what, in a context of peace and where there is stable government, development thrives. You know, people mm. go to school increasingly. People can earn a living increasingly. You know, a sickness isn't a shock that sets you back economically. So there's a lot, you know, there's a massive... And momentum and development when the environment is right. But if you have war and you have earthquakes and you have Ukraine conflict and you have global price spikes that nobody can control, um, it makes for a very volatile environment for countries and communities that are already, already fragile. The article I referred to was in, it was either the Irish Times or the Irish Independent, but it showed a lady walking and she was trying to get shade from a son and there was one tree that she could get shade from a sun in. Uh, but she had to walk to work in Nairobi itself um, because she was making around €100 Euro a month was her salary. Uh, but because of what's going on in, between Russia and Ukraine, or going on in Ukraine, um, the, the cost of petrol and getting the bus into Nairobi to work has gone up and the cost of food has gone up and that. So she walks the road in and walks the road out every day and... Good Lord, I mean, just to make a hundred yeah. euro a month to put food on the table for her family. Yeah, and I think, you know, we're all feeling the impact of Ukraine. But I mean, in Sierra Leone, I've seen that, you know, Sierra Leone, how far away it is from Ukraine. And you see the price of fuel and the price of food trigger into riots and into civil unrest because people simply cannot bear any more cost. Um, fuel prices up by 50%. The price of rice in Somalia in a country that is facing this kind of famine um, has gone up by 50%. So we're seeing, you know, that pinch, if you're already experiencing it, well, it's, it, you know, it's tripling, it's quadrupling. And as you say, the poor who spend 80% of their income on food and then on things like transport are actually really feeling the, the pain of this. And it's, so these factors are also compounding, you know, you had covid you then had the war in Ukraine and you have these climatic shocks and conflict. So it's never singular. There are a number of factors that are coming together. And certainly I'm seeing, I'm nearly 30 years, you know, working in development across different contexts. And there's a level of complexity to everything right now that I'm seeing, certainly, that creates such fragility and can trigger people um, into crisis situations quite quickly. How can people help? I mean, we spoke a few weeks ago about the uh, Throcker campaign. We're now in, since last Wednesday, we're in that Lenten campaign, so we are. Um, the, the numbers are not very strong, perhaps, going to churches currently for whatever reason. Uh, can people get these boxes online? People can get the boxes online and people can go on to our website um, and also, you know, donate online there. Um, <clears throat> and I just have to say, like, you know, it's, People, you know, you come to every Lent and you hope again still that people have can find the solidarity, that people don't kind of disengage. There's a lot going on in people's lives. But the truth is people never fail, never fail in Ireland to express solidarity. It's an absolutely remarkable thing. And I say that with all honesty, with all kind of, with lots of pride, as I say, many years in this work, and I'm always struck by that ability of the Irish to identify with the other and to express that solidarity through support. So, um, yeah, people can 
go online and donate. People can um, get their boxes. They can get their boxes in their parish as well. Um, but yeah, we really look forward to continued support from people because, you know, I think this morning I heard somebody, one of the Ukrainians saying in an interview, you know, you never know when it's you. Um, you never know when the world can change and when it's you. So although it's 50 years of Trokra, it's been providing support to different people in different places at different times. And the need for help and solidarity will always be there for different mm. people in different places at different times. And I suppose it's an opportunity to thank the people in Galway as well um, for their continued support to Trokra, which really does and can make an enormous impact. But that person who said they thought it would never happen, you know, and... I suppose a lot of us don't really think of something like that ever happening. Uh, they didn't want it to happen. It did happen. They were thrust no. into it. They were forced out of their home country. Uh, they're now living in Ireland, so they are. Um, but that's yeah. it's just it's, unfor- it's just so totally unfortunate that people find themselves like that. And then, yes, we have a privileged, I, and I know there's people listening to us wearing the camp with food on the table in Ireland. We have a privileged life here in Ireland. Uh, and th- those unfortunate people in Somalia and Kenya and Africa and the Horn of Africa and all the places that you've outlined there. I mean, they're having a very difficult life. Yeah. You know, I stood in that camp. Um, there was a camp of 42,000 people in a, t- a small town in Somalia. And all of them had come and they had come basically with your twigs and then your plastic or whatever cloth and you put that around it. And I looked inside some of those small tense, fragile, temporary homes, but they're not temporary. Increasingly, people who are displaced are displaced for generations. So, you know, that's something we really need to start to address, that it's never temporary. Um, But I looked inside and all you could see was maybe one small water container um, and a few bits of cloth and eight or nine people. And when I stood there in the heat, I thought to myself, you know, all you'd want is just 10 minutes if I was a mother. Can I just have 10 minutes out of this heat? Yeah out of this place to just go have a just sit down somewhere what i thought of was can i have some water can i just be in water and switch off and then i can come back to my life but there isn't that you don't get that 10 minutes out and that's truly what i was thinking when i was standing there in that camp in somalia um, but what we can do is we can relieve the quality of life you have in that camp. And what we can do is make sure when your children are sick, there is health facilities. Your children can go to school. You can access water because we can drill boreholes. So what we can do is improve the quality of life to make you closer to that 10 minutes of just feeling a little bit more human and a little bit more in control in this particularly stark situation. And I still also have to say that I also looked around that camp and thought, how brave, how strong, how resilient are these people? I mean, how how do you keep going? And that's also something I've been struck by in all the years I've worked in is the strength and the resilience of the human spirit when put to the test. And mm. it's a remarkable thing to see. And I have nothing but respect for the people who are in those camps. Now, if you want to get further details and you want to get a Trokra box, you can do so by going to www.trokra.org uh, for further details. Uh, Sarika, thanks for joining us uh, today. And uh, keep strong and keep up the work that you're doing on an ongoing basis. And uh, thanks for joining us uh, today. By the way, thanks to uh, John Morley and all the crew here as well. Uh, for the last two weeks, I, I kind of wasn't myself because mom passed away this day week, actually. And it was, a, it was a blessing for her. It was an ease to her because she's had a rough, a rough eight years indeed. Uh, but thanks to John and all the crew in here who just rallied around. I didn't know 
went to take time off because she was still with us and then she rallied again. You know yourself, you've been in the situation. Uh, but thanks to all the crew here, thanks to Father Martin Downey, by the way, our parish priest in St. Joseph's, uh, to the uh, team in Carl Haven who looked after mom for the last eight years. And you know when you say a home away from home, it's, it really was, it was our home away from home with her. It's now called Apre Living. It was founded by the Corcoran family who popped in uh, to say hello to us as well. But to all the crew out there, they really, they were the home away from home for us uh, for the last eight years. And to all who came to the uh, removal on the Wednesday night and the Mass on the Thursday as well. It, it was just a beautiful gathering of people to everyone who came. Thank you and uh, to all of you and to Robert and to Keith, by the way. Um, in Keneally's as well. God, what professionals we have when it comes to undertakers in this country. Uh, but Robert and Keith, they were just five stars as well. And after the funeral, we just popped out of the family down to Park House and Kitty Carr and the team down there just put us in a corner and fed us and kind of mothered us and minded us and just what we wanted. We, were, we just wanted to be together. There's only three of us left with our, sibling, with our <laughs> wives and siblings. So we just wanted to be together. Uh, so Kitty and the crew down there did that as well but she's gone she's gone she's with my my brother and she's with my father today and uh, it's a week today hard to believe quarter to six last Monday evening she closed her eyes and a lot of people have gone through the same thing nothing nothing special but uh, when you're kind of sitting on the wireless every day and people are wondering where are you and where have you gone to but the weekend was strange because this weekend I would normally go to visit my uncle and visit my mom the two of them gone within a year of each other my brother and sister Kind of, I was kind of lost. I could do jobs, went to the movies, didn't feel guilty going anywhere. Uh, but it's going to take time, so it is to kind of get used to the free space and free time that I have. So on behalf of all of us, thank you indeed for those who are with us on this journey for the last long number of years, which came to an end last, uh, last Monday evening. Uh, that journey is over and another one begins. We're back just after these. We have loads of comments just after news. Stay tuned. Galway Talks, in association with Tesco. Click and Collect allows you to collect your order whenever suits you. 